This is Alan Olson's American Dreams, Keys to Life Success. And this is Nadine Camera, where we talk about how to live the life that you want to live. What are your dreams? What do you want out of life? And what defines success? So today's show, we got an exciting uh, speaker coming on. Uh, he'll be with us in just a few minutes. Uh, Lou DiNardo, who will be talking about the state of venture capital funding, a popular topic in Silicon Valley. Yes, and the funding that is drying up. So be interesting to hear his comments and what he has to say. Well, I look forward to that. You know, it's, it's interesting. It seems like in some ways the market's coming back, and then in other ways it isn't. But before we get to that, I'd like to uh, talk about a leadership moment on uh, experience that I had in life. You know, life is not always about money. Uh, it's often about the experiences that you have as you live your life. Um, it's good to receive, but it's also better to give. I like to tell, uh, when I was 20 years old, I lived in uh, the Philippines. Uh, the area they lived in was on a very poor island. Uh, streets were made out of dirt, and people often went without food or would earn just enough to purchase one meal a day for their families. So while I was there, I met a woman. Her name was Zenaida Potente. Uh, she was a middle-aged woman, uh, but she was hunchback. And as a result of her deformity, she had certain challenges given to her in life. Uh, one of the, the challenges that she had was finding food to eat every day. Um, so she would go to the, the streets and she begged for her food and money to sustain her needs. Um, I got to know her quite well. And, um, and even after I left the Philippines, we, we corresponded over, over the years. And uh, as my kids grew, uh, we continued to write, and I decided that I'd yeah, share this experience with the kids where we would go out and we would get a bunch of old shoes and we we're going to ship them to Zenaida and let her go sell the the shoes to raise money for food and then um, help bless the lives of other people over there. So we got all of our kids and we took all the worn out shoes and uh, put them in a box and uh, shipped them over. And uh, we were going to happily wait to receive word from Zenaida about all the, the people that we we blessed. Well, the next thing we knew, we got a box back in the, the mail from Zenaida, and we opened it, and it was filled with all sorts of food from the Philippines. <laughs> so Zenaida, doing well. Zenaida taught us a lesson in that it wasn't just about uh, giving, but it was also about receiving and allowing people the blessing, you know, to, uh, to, to be giving, even though they had small means. She felt it was... Uh, it was a worthwhile cause to be in service among those who she reached out and touched their lives. So when we focus on giving rather than receiving, we find that we have more than we had before to give. So, Alan, if individuals want to give, where do you suggest, you know, what do you suggest and where do they start? You know, it, it's really interesting. I, um, As I look at life, life is really interesting. We're on this timeline, and, and sometimes the day-to-day -day responsibilities, the stresses with relationships, and what's in front of us uh, clouds our vision. And it, it makes it very difficult to 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 see clearly on what, what really matters in life. But on that question if you go all the way to the end of life and you you think about it you know everything that you earn the cars that you drive the house that you live in you know once you're six feet under it doesn't matter uh the relationships that that you have 
will. And the lives that you touch, uh, you know, as you go through uh, and experience your lives, will be remembered by those who are left behind. So I often say, you know, when you're looking at giving, what do you want out of life? What is your passion? How do you... uh, how do you want to measure your own life in, in touching lives of others? So there's lots of ways that you can give. Uh, some people have the means to just, I'll just write a check and, uh, and, and, and help support a cause. It may be as simple as the, 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 the local school, the PTA, you know, the, helping the classrooms. Um, others may have more substantial means to, to give. And, um, you know, whatever you do, Whatever you donate to, it becomes more meaningful with a relationship associated with it so that you can see the fruits of the works of your own labor. Um, And I think oftentimes it's not just about the money, but it's also about the service hours, putting your time in. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, um, for instance, I, I, you know, have my vehicles, my cars that I've worn out after so many years of driving, and it's time to sell. It's time to sell and buy a new vehicle. And um, for my last two vehicles, I have found someone in need, someone that was home, so homeless for each of them. Uh, they, they were not self-sufficient. They needed a vehicle in order to get a job. And I decided to give those vehicles away. And so it, it, it was that direct, I got to see the direct benefit rather than writing a check to an associate, uh, a, a nonprofit. Um, which was really fulfilling to me because I know it really helped these individuals. You know, I think that uh, when you do things like that, and it's not always for the the credit as saying, look what I did. Right. But it's, right. it's quietly helping the lives of others. Um, you know, as, as we go through life and, and we live in this economy of cert- uncertainty, there are more and more people. In fact, I heard it up to like 47% of Americans are now in some type of government uh, subsistence out there indicating the uh, the, the real state of affairs that uh, you know so there's a lot of lot of uh, places that we can help um, and I think that uh, you know that self-reflection of what can I do I think it matters it matters in life uh, your relationships as you build through this so can you give us some, as a CPA, give us some of your charitable contributions? What is tax-deductible? What isn't? And you're giving us some insight on that, Alan. You know, it's really interesting. A lot of people, they're, uh, they're often looking for tax strategies. And one of the, one of the best strategies out there, uh, it's, uh, it's that of charitable contributions. It's the ability when you can take a highly appreciated asset, uh, such as a, a stock, and uh, that you may have got that stock for pennies and you donate it to the the charity of, of your choice, you can write it off at fair market value. Uh, so if you buy a stock for a dollar, it's worth $1,000 a day, you get a $1,000 deduction. And that gets offset against your ordinary income for both regular and AMT tax. Wow. It's a it's a great vehicle to, to use. Can you do that for real estate as well? Real estate, it works on real estate. The, the only thing that you got to watch out is that if you have assets that have some type of debt on it, a lot of charities are saying, hey, I'm not going to take your mortgage over. You right, know? right. But um, another interesting thing, I had a uh, one of my clients come to me, ran across the program. He says, I'm going to have my home remodeled, and I'm going to have a charity come in, and, and they're going to dismantle. My home and my furniture and my fixtures and everything that I'm taking out, I'm donating to charity. 
And I said, you can do that? And he said, yeah. Here's it. And, and we looked at it and said, absolutely. The IRS has given their, uh, their, their blessing on uh, you know, the, the, the charities that go do this. But one thing I will uh, remind the listeners of, that if they're going to go to that uh, direction, make sure they have a qualified tax professional so they understand that that what's what's doing works. Um, one of the things the IRS is going to require is that they have some type of information reporting forms that go back to the IRS showing that if you donate a kitchen sink, they want to see that it was actually sold within a two-year period for an approximate market value that went through. So. so there is more documentation that they might require when you're doing donations to to smaller charities. But hey, listen, it's, it's a good cause to stay involved and engaged in the in charitable also uh you know when you die you think about it and um it's like warren buffett you know passes away says i'm only going to give my kids a certain amount of money and the rest i give the charity uh let let it live on as a legacy let it live on for the works that you want to continue with and uh and and bless the lives of others i believe bill gates is doing the same thing bill gates there's a lot of the um a lot of the high net worth individuals not only is it a good tax deduction but it's also a, a good cause for life exactly exactly i agree so here we are today with Alan Olson, America Dreams, the Keys to Life Success. We're going to be visiting with Lou DiNardo on the state of venture capital. This is a hot topic in the Valley. A lot of entrepreneurial companies looking for money today. They're, uh, they're wondering how they can uh, find the source of capital to launch your business and, uh, and, and create some more wealth in the Valley. So stay tuned. Alan Olson will be right Visit back. Visit Alan's website at groco.com. Welcome back. This is Alan Olson's America Dreams Keys to Life Success, where we talk about how to live the life that you want to. What are your dreams? What do you want out of life? And what defines success? Today we have with us Lou DiNardo, the partner of Crosslink Capital out of San Francisco. Lou is an accomplished venture capitalist. Welcome, Lou. Thank you very much, Alan. Now, Lou, I understand that you work with individuals wanting to obtain venture capital funds for their new startups. Can you briefly tell me about what you do? Sure. I'll try and keep it brief. Uh, we see many, many business plans. We'll see hundreds of business plans in a year. Uh, they can be anything in our particular uh, firm's case from what we refer to as digital media or Internet uh, opportunities through core technologies, which in our case is semiconductors or computer chips, as most folks would know them, as well as alternative energy technologies. And that could be solar, wind, a variety of things that go on in the energy space. And we look at those business plans and determine you know, how much money does it take that business to become a sustainable and enduring business? Um, and at what value we would be willing to make that investment? So, Lou, how did you get into venture capital? What what drove you towards this direction? It's been an interesting course for me. I spent uh, the better part of 30 years, 27 more specifically, in the computer chip business uh, here in Silicon Valley. Uh, after 25 or 26, 27 years, I started to think about how I could use the skills that I had developed as chief operating officer or chief executive officer of public companies uh, to find smaller entities, smaller entrepreneurial presences that wanted to grow up to be big businesses and leverage my skills in helping them grow. No better way to do that as well as make money at the same time. So in 
terms of all the industries out there, do you have a particular industry you have a, a greater passion for and you're uh, working with those types of companies? Yeah, it's, uh, we, we tend to find businesses uh, or marketplaces to be cyclical. Uh, I still have a passion for core technology while my partners uh, invest ver very aggressively in the digital media and Internet space. I focus on today telemetry. Um, telemetry is the kind of measurement of things that go on on the ground. They go up to cloud computing environments and then get... Uh, transmitted down for monitoring and control of, uh, of whatever that phenomenon is. So we're looking at where we can take hardware, software, cloud computing, uh, see that convergence of businesses uh, or those convergences of technologies and build a business off of them. You know, uh, Lou, I have a question. Where do you think with this economy, um, where do you think it's going with uh, entrepreneurial businesses right now? I have maybe a contrarian view. Um, I think given as uh, anemic as the economy feels every day, the interesting thing about venture capital and entrepreneurism in the United States is we don't measure things in months or quarters or even years. Uh, you know, our funds tend to be seven-year funds when we take money from limited partners uh, and come up with an investment thesis or investment theses that we, we invest around. So I feel very comfortable that today America in general, Silicon Valley specifically, as entrepreneurial as ever. I think we have an enormous depth of bright people with bright ideas who are really hungry, really aggressive. And maybe one of the most satisfying things that we have going on today is these are young people who care about the world as much as building a business. So we see many, many business plans where the state of the environment, the state of well-being of human beings is really part and parcel to the business plans. And that makes it all the more satisfying. Right. Lou, um, the struggling economy, how, um, how has that affected actual venture capitalists? Have you seen money that has dried up, or is there, is there as much money available as it was when the economy was booming? Well, it's, it's interesting. Venture capital has really three dynamics that we work around at all times. We're raising money, we're deploying money, and we're engineering exits initial public offerings into the public market or acquisition exits. Raising money has become more challenging. I think it's less about us not having the same lore or luster that we have in past decades, but as people's people, as corporations and our pension funds or the limited partnerships that provide us our capital to reinvest, their asset base has shrunk by virtue of what's going on out there. Uh, and as that asset base shrinks, this is an alternative asset class. We only take a little piece of the money out of endowments or pension funds. When the whole pie shrinks, all of the pieces shrink, and as a result, there's less to go into this asset class. But those firms that have performed and done well tend to continue to get funded. We recently closed our sixth venture fund, and we'll start marketing our seventh venture fund in the not-too-distant future, and that's on the back of success. What's what's the rate of return that that you that you're looking for in a business? Um, as high as we as high as we can get. <laughs> is, there, is there a minimum? Like it's a it's a trade off. We look at the the dollars invested, and we're always always focused on cash on cash return. You put a dollar in, how many dollars do you get back? And you put that dollar in, do you get those dollars back in a year, two, three, or four? And depending on the marketplace and where we are at the stage of the fund, the, the internal rate of return really does vary. But it's it's a meaningful. Uh, return that we're looking for because this is risk capital. Uh, we, we see seven of ten deals go out of business, um, and all of those dollars have to be made up before we're back into profitability for the fund.
You know, it's interesting. Uh, our, our firm, we've worked for several years as CPAs with the venture capitalists of the Valley, starting with some of the early the first venture capital firms who started companies like National Semiconductor and then later Oracle and uh, and, and so, off, so on through the years. Um, it, it was interesting in the late 90s when this dot-com went to the dot-bomb era. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of companies got caught in the downdraft, and uh, and and it continued on that uh, what was done in the late '90s, the exit strategies became more and more difficult. And I I think that there still must be, and this, this is my observation, a problem with exit strategies and liquidity out in this market. Could you give us some insight? Maybe expand that into what's going on with secondary markets and how that affects. What's going on with venture capital? Certainly, our, our exits are. We're always building companies to try and get the the most profitable exit for our shareholders. Um, we would love to think in terms of initial public offerings or public offerings into the, the uh, public markets um, because of the effects of the economy. And there are companies that are healthy and they've got currency, whether it's in their uh, public equity, their stock, or in cash on their balance sheet. They come in and find those. You know, burgeoning young companies that may not be over the top yet, haven't quite crossed the chasm, and they try to pick them up in merger and acquisitions. Uh, we've been fortunate in the last year. We've had Pandora go public out of our fund. We've had Carbonite go public, which is an uh, Internet uh, backup service. We've had um, Ancestry.com in our portfolio. So we've been fortunate to have picked winners uh, that have made it out into the public market. Uh, the secondary market's an interesting phenomenon. I, uh, you know, I'm probably Maybe for the listeners, sure. could you expand, when we talk about secondary market, what does sure, that mean? Sure. Uh, you know, there are major companies that we're all, all probably familiar with today that includes Facebook and Zenga and, you know, many of that ilk, which have not gone public. But you hear about market capitalizations on these firms as, you know, $10 billion, $20 billion, $50 billion. Uh, the only way you can apply a valuation to a company is if there is some trading of of some underlying asset, which we commonly refer to as a secondary market. So folks that started Facebook uh, or Zanga or others in that space uh, are trading their stock positions, their stock options, and the positions they have in those companies to others for consideration. It creates a secondary market where you can't go to your broker and buy this on NASDAQ, NYSE, and it's not a publicly traded stock, yet there's trading going on. And it's going to be interesting to watch it play out over the next few years as to what the anomalies are that are created by less oversight than might be required if you were Securities and Exchange Commission regulated. You know, it's interesting. The uh, the government's been trying to do the role in keeping venture capital going. In fact, they have this provision out there that not all entrepreneurs are aware, but they uh, September last year, they passed a provision that goes up to 2012 that if you start a qualified small business, uh, in other words, if you have a market capitalization within a certain uh, uh, market value that uh, when you take that stock public, 100% of that gain is excluded for federal tax purpose. Wow. Now you have to hold the, the stock for five years. It's called Qualified Small Business Stock. And uh, the the provision will carry over to California if you uh, do 80% of your business within this state. But um, what have you seen with companies out there? They still is, is the market still hot? New companies being developed all the time? What? Uh... Yeah, I, I think, you know, in, in reference to your comment about the small business 
environment or we look at government programs it's you know many days they make the headlines of the news for negative reasons i think the reality is that driving entrepreneurism um, in america is a good thing um, i mean I'm, I'm certainly not the one to be commenting on how it's legislated and how it's implemented but we do have the best and the brightest i travel the world i've been to china more times than i'd like to count i've been all over europe i've been all over southeast asia in my view we have the brightest and the best when it comes to innovation and it comes to entrepreneurism, Silicon Valley, the United States in general, still has the leg up on the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, we have we have a bright future based on the young people that are bringing to bear good solutions on hard problems. I, I, I love the, the last comment there about innovation. That's really what has brought America Dreams the reality of helping make people extremely successful, keeping this country ahead of the, uh, the, the game of creating newfound wealth in this, uh, in this world. So this is Alan Olson, American Dreams, the keys to life success. We'll be right back in a moment with more information on the state of venture capital. We're here talking today with Lou DiNardo. Visit Alan's website at broco.com. Welcome back. This is Alan Olson's America Dreams, the keys to life success, where we talk about how to live the life that you want to live. What are your dreams? What do you want out of life? And what defines success? We've been talking here today with Lou DiNardo. Lou's a successful venture capitalist with Crosslink Ventures. And Lou, if I was an entrepreneur coming to you for funding, can you walk me through the process of how you would either accept or reject a business that I'm trying to get funding for? Sure. Uh, it's, a, it's a rather disciplined process we go through. You know, we're, we're the steward of our limited partner's money. Uh, we make business decisions every day on where to put that capital. Uh, so we at Crosslink Capital uh, specifically, and I think our industry in general, have very disciplined processes. We may see... 500 or 1,000 business plans a year. Uh, we tend to triage them through some of uh, our associates and vice presidents who will take literally tens of calls a week. Uh, they'll look at business plans, they'll look at PowerPoint presentations, pro forma income statements. Uh, it's somewhat um, varied as to where we source our deals from as an industry. We have outbound traffic from our associates, vice presidents, our network from our partners who have been uh, you know, in the marketplace for decades. Uh, from there, it's typically a meeting, uh, a presentation by management, the management of the company, a good sense of what is the big idea, what's the value proposition, is it an idea that potentially addresses a big market and can uh, build a sustainable, profitable business. From there, it will be introduced to a partner. So I think for those entrepreneurs out there, you need to be prepared for many meetings, uh, many meetings to be introduced to the firm, associate, then vice president, then partner, many meetings with the partner before you get to a partnership presentation where you'll be put on the line of fire in front of eight or 10 or 12 partners within a firm who've been around the block many, many, many times, ask very hard questions. Uh, and should you get through that gauntlet, then we start the diligence process. Then we want to talk to your customers. We want to talk to your friends and family. We want to scrutinize and scrub your pro forma income statement and balance sheet. Uh, there is literally no corner that we don't look in uh, when we're determining whether or not we'll make an investment. You know, dealing with entrepreneurs, they all have a passion for what they do. And as their companies uh, evolve, they're, they're happy and hungry for a lot of capital. Now, as an entrepreneur coming before you, Lou, what would I have to do to convince you that I have the right business? Well, I'll tell you, 
I'll address the business in a moment. First and foremost, what, what I personally look for and I think is an overriding kind of mantra for our firm is we look for intellectual honesty. We do see the brightest. We see the best. Everybody that comes through our hallways are smart. Uh, they all have reasonably good ideas, if not great ideas, but it takes a certain level of intellectual honesty. And I'm not going down the path of integrity, which is also a major component in the rapport and relationship, but intellectual honesty about how long is it going to take, what is it going to take, uh, how much capital is it going to take uh, in order to build this business? Because once you establish that level of intellectual honesty and dialogue, then you become partners in building a business plan. We don't just write a check that doesn't bounce, as we like to say. We like to contribute to the process. We've got decades and decades, hundreds of man years of aggregate value to bring to bear on helping young people build good businesses. And we like to think that's just a valuable part of the equation. So some of our listeners may not really capture the concept of how venture capital works and you know thinking well why don't you just go to a bank if you need money or something like that so what is it that 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 venture capitalists how do you differentiate between that and other financing sources sure Um, you know we raise we raise money from endowments and pension funds and high net worth individuals in a variety of places Uh, these are limited partners the people that give us money to reinvest uh, you know, the difference between us and a bank, for example, if you have, uh, again, we'll call it the three men and a dog syndrome, where you have a great idea, you're working out of your garage, and this could go back to Hewlett and Packard in your garage in Palo Alto, you can't go to a bank and borrow anything more than maybe the value of your car or your house on a second mortgage. That's very rarely enough capital to hire employees and build a business. Uh, so you're going to other alternative forums in order to raise capital. Venture capital is that place where we will take big risks and we take very high risks. We're dealing with folks who have an idea on a piece of paper and sometimes nothing else and we'll write checks. Um, You know, our batting average, frankly, isn't all that good as an industry. Many, 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 many deals fail, but many turn out to be Google, Yahoo, Pandora, and others where there are great returns that really eclipse the losses that we've incurred on all of the other deals. But it's high-risk capital that you're looking for. You're not going to get it from a bank. You're not going to be able to secure it with any of your assets. It really is you, your idea, and your willingness to work hard with our partnership in order to really have a good outcome. You know, Lou, you mentioned um, that you're looking for intellectual honesty. Uh, is there what type of documentation? Let's say you you found some, someone's looking to you for venture capital, and and they have that intellectual honesty that that you're looking for. What type of documentation would they have to really you know bring forward to present a plan to you? Gosh, I've seen it all over the map. I've seen you know literally the cocktail napkin with scribble on the back, um, and that you know that turns into some of the largest companies in America, all the way through the 500-page business plan that was done you know by uh, an M- a fresh MBA grad who might have some uh, consulting experience. So it really is all over the map. Let, let me ask a question, in, in in you know to further expound on that, you know you talk about documentation. What about the people behind? the business. Yeah, we, we, we do look at, at our investment really is in people. So the idea has to be good. The marketplace has to be large and thriving. But at the end of the day, we invest in people. And it really is the chemistry, the understanding we have of what it takes to build that particular business in that particular market and having uh, alignment on all fronts uh, from, with respect to how to build a business as well as how to exit uh, and get a liquidity event. So it really is about the people. 
Do you, do you like to take board seats in that? Uh... We take board seats in 90% of our investments. And I think, again, it circles back to we think we have more to offer than just the capital. Uh, in my case, I happen to spend 25, 26, 27 years uh, in industry, uh, you know, well-managed companies, analog devices, linear technology, some of the best-managed companies in America, and to take the business processes and disciplines that you learn in industry or my partners who have come out of investment banking or my partners who have come out of consulting or other venues, to bring those skills that, you know, at our station in life can be brought to bear on, you know, Young people with great ideas building businesses, it's, it's, it's rewarding as in a personal way as well as in the financial outcomes. What, what would cause you to decline uh, venture funding? It could be a variety of things, and we do decline a lot. We see hundreds and hundreds of business plans. Uh, many of them may not be have, have been well thought out. Uh, many of them may uh, not address a big enough market, uh, one where you can really build um, – at scale a sizable business. Um, some may be product lines and not really companies. They may be a feature, a software package, or a software company comes in and presents an idea that is really more like a feature that should be part of a bigger software platform. Uh, so most of the time I think it really comes down to either, you know, out of the box, it's dismissed as not a good idea. But frankly, that doesn't happen all that often. It's more about, is this a feature? Is it a product? Is it a company? Uh, and is this the management team that we can really move forward with? You know, if a person comes to you and says, well, I want to raise venture capitals, but uh, my R&D facility is overseas in another country, you know, what's your feeling about uh, investing close to home versus seeing your money fly into another country? It's a, I'd say it's a bit of an enigma today. Um, we tend to think of venture, of venture capital as a local or regional business. Uh, so certainly I'd like to see the CEO and the founding team somewhere where I can drive down and say hello on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, on the other hand, when you look at engineering resources and the skills that are required to build many of the businesses we're associated with, we will find them in China, we'll find them in Italy, we'll find them in Western Europe as well as Eastern Europe. Uh, and the idea that we have today uh, the infrastructure in order to have conference calls and you know, video conferences and all kinds of platforms that allow us to manage remotely, it, it's not an obstacle, but Frankly, the management teams we like to keep close. Okay, that's, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, running through this, now, if you're investing in a company, obviously you're doing this because you want your money back. So i got two questions here. First of all, typical time frame, and the second is what typically is the criteria for when you want to pull the plug? Well, first I'd like to, to correct you. We'd like our money back plus. Uh, not just our money back. Uh, time frames measured in years. I mean, these businesses are not built overnight. Even in the fast-paced, you know, condensed world of the Internet, Web 2.0 or digital media, things don't happen overnight. So I think you're typically, you're typically looking at from the time we see an idea that might have some meat on it, some, some substance to it, it's no less than three, and it could be seven or eight years. There's no doubt that those kinds of time horizons exist. Uh, what makes us pull the plug is when we see kind of a weakening of the syndicate. Uh, we rarely are the sole uh, institutional investor. Uh, so we'll be around the boardroom, around the board table with other investors. And if others aren't willing or able to contribute the capital to bring that plan to fruition uh, or that plan 
pivots in a, in a material way out of what we think is a good line of business. So you start down the path thinking you're going to grow to be X, and halfway through the process it turns to Y. Uh, then we reconsider, and we really do reevaluate as though it's a new opportunity. Very good. Hey, this is Alan Olson with America Dreams Keys to Life Success. We're here today visiting with Lou DiNardo of Crosslink Capital. We'll be right back after this short break. Visit Alan's website at broco.com. More American Dreams is next on AM 1220 KDOW. This is Alan Olson. Welcome back with America Dreams Keys to Life Success. We've been talking here today with Lou DiNardo. Lou, you've been giving some information on the venture capital community. Can you discuss some of the recent ventures that you've seen succeed? Well, with respect to successful ventures in our own portfolio at Crossland Capital, probably the most prominent is Pandora Radio. Uh, we were an early investor in Pandora and uh, remain a stockholder, a large shareholder post-IPO. Uh, company went public, oh, I guess at this point it's about three or four months ago. Uh, market valuation has varied uh, anywhere from $2 billion to $3 billion on its uh, post-IPO market valuation. Uh, we've been involved with the company for seven or eight years. Uh, actually, prior to it being called Pandora Radio, the company was named Savage Beast. Uh, there was a pivot in the business model. Uh, this was a company that was really focused on what went on in record shops when we needed to listen to CDs uh, before we bought them and pivoted into the Internet radio space, first as uh, possibly a subscription model and then an advertising model. And today it's pretty well known and I think a very popular resource for all of us. Oh, it's an amazing, uh, amazing station. I'm actually a user of Pandora and... Uh... Love that model. Now, did that ever come off of Napster? How did that thing really... No, it's, I mean, it's completely independent. It's a very novel and unique approach to qualifying music. Um, they call it the Music Genome Project, where the music is analyzed and diagnosed for a variety of some 500 different characteristics. And when you say, I like Eric Clapton, it's not just Eric Clapton. You happen to like a particular genre of Eric Clapton. You name that song as a like, and then they go off through the genomes of hundreds of thousands of songs and begin to feed you different songs uh, that would appeal to that same, what you call channel or radio station. So you set up your Eric Clapton radio station, and you can set up uh, your Mose Allison radio station if you like old-time jazz. Um, and it's really a very unique and different approach. Uh, really, I don't think there was anything that preceded it that was like it. Amazing. So we talked about some success. Now, what have you seen fail out there? Well, this is the venture capital industry. So before I speak to specifics as examples, um, take into account that kind of nominally 10 investments, seven will fail. I mean, seven we will make no money on. We'll probably lose all of our money. A couple out of the 10, we may make some of our money back. And one out of 10 will be something on the order of Pandora. So uh, if we look at the newspapers today, I hate to go down the path because it's been a bit of a whipping post, but Solyndra is probably the most prominent failure. And it's not really all about government debt. There were hundreds of millions of dollars of venture capital money pumped into that company. Uh, I can date back, you know, many years ago, three, four, five years ago, there was a very prominent disk drive company in, uh, I think it was Boulder, Colorado, or uh, in the Boulder area, which was aiming at the iPhone, the iPhone previously had moving media, had a rotating disk in it. And today, I think still, if you buy the 160 gigabyte classic, you might get a rotating media. Others are now solid state. But these little one-inch drives, which held lots of data, there were startups that were chasing the golden 
the golden ring or the brass ring for the disk drive space in all of the portable digital media. And Cornus was an example of another hundred, hundred and forty, hundred and fifty million dollars of venture capital investment that just essentially went to zero. But again, seven out of ten, so it's a, it's a tough business. I mean, we do a lot of diligence to determine those that we think have the highest probability of success. But at the end of the day, we really have to work hard to make those companies what they turn out to be. You know, it's amazing. I was once in the room with Scott Cook, and uh, Scott being the founder of Intuit. Sure. But he told me he had the opportunity to be an angel investor in Google. Mm -hmm. And when presented, he didn't think Google had a, a good business model. And uh, years later, found out that wasn't the right call it's it's difficult i mean you hear uh, we we call it three men and a dog uh, you know you get a story from all parts of the world all kinds of different ideas and it's just coincidence before coming in here i was talking with an entrepreneur that was offered a spot as one of the first five at google and turned it down for similar reasons uh, so it's very difficult to separate the wheat from the chaff early on and that's why when you look at the venture capital community you find those investors that focus on series a which is very early stage uh, all the way through mezzanine investors which are that last money in before a company goes public uh, but we we tend to be at crossing we're stage agnostic we don't really focus on the stage of a business we look for the smartest people in the most bright and promising industries to focus on uh, we have an alpha program where we seed money. Uh, I like to call our partner that does this Johnny Appleseed, but he walks around with $250,000 checks looking for those deals that just have some glimmer of being the next Google or Pandora or Yahoo or anyone in, the, in that particular space. I love the Johnny Appleseed concept. Yeah, well, we have a caller coming in uh, right now. I have Chuck on the phone here. Chuck, I understand that you have started up companies before, and you have a business idea that you'd like to get some advice from Lou on. Yeah, I've got a couple questions for him, actually. Um, the first question is dealing with elder care. Is elder care or elder care facilities a good business to get into right now? You know, you, you touch on, a, on a, uh, a space which I have for a variety of vectors been interested in. Uh, we at Crosslink are looking at wellness as a general theme, and we tend to be thematic in our approach because we really can't necessarily step back and pick a company out of the blue as much as we can pick a theme and a vein to mine. Uh, so I see wellness, which certainly elder care is part of that wellness concept. Um, as, as, as really kind of a burning issue. Uh, I have uh, exposure through family and friends into really kind of a burgeoning business in the medical office space. Again, addressing kind of wellness in general, elder care, and our access to health care services outside of the typical hospital, hospital regimen. So I think in the, with specifically, is it a venture-type business? I don't know the answer. It would really be you kind of deriving a business plan that shows us how much capital you would need, at what point you would be solvent, what point you'd be cash flow positive, and frankly, what the exits are. Um, is elder care something that is a public market entity? Is it an M&A out where, you know, you have a larger corporation that has maybe a broader portfolio of interest in the healthcare space that comes in and acquires the business? Um, you know, it's always, always important to recognize that venture capital is focused on exits, whether that exit is through acquisition or that exit is through a public offering. Uh, we raise money, we deploy capital, and then we look for exits. So I think as you develop a business plan, you need to focus on venture firms that are raising money to support the kind of theme that you're interested in. 
venture firms that are in the process of deploying that capital and aren't on kind of the last legs of a fund that they previously raised. And you need to determine how you would present that opportunity with respect to a viable exit. Lou, when you look at investments, are you looking for a disruptive technology? Always. I mean, you're always looking for discontinuities that can be exploited or disruptive technology. Uh, it's difficult to to enter an existing space with incumbents who have traction without either a discontinuity created by a market dynamic or a discontinuity created by a disruption in technology. It's difficult to build a business in a meaningful way at a pace which satisfies the internal rate of returns that venture capital firms are looking for. I mean, it does play off risk against reward, but at the end of the day, we don't have a lot of patience as an industry. We measure things in years, um, but when you're starting a business, and those that have know that the first two, three, four, five, six, sometimes seven years go by you know, in a flash, and before you know it, you're six or seven years into that endeavor. Um, so it, it, it really is something that's important to us. Okay. Uh, Chuck, do you have a follow-up question for uh, Lou here today? Yeah, um, I do. I, it's more of a technical question. Uh, I'm curious to know, if I start a nonprofit um, and then that nonprofit licenses its IP or allows a marketing firm to use the products itself, is there a way to set it up so the nonprofit and the marketing firm can both be owned by me um, but work completely independent to satisfy all the needs of a nonprofit? All right. We, we just got a minute here, so quickly, Lou. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I, that's a technical question. I'd, I'd seek the advice of an attorney. I can tell you that I, I've been exposed to and involved in the development of nonprofits for Internet or digital media applications who are uh, leveraging that nonprofit platform to build profitable businesses under an umbrella. But I, I think you need to you know, seek, seek professional advice there. Okay, hey, we've been talking with Lou DiNardo here today of the Crosslink Ventures, and uh, thanks a lot for the, the call check. Now, uh, Lou, how do we reach you? You can reach me at my firm, crosslinkcapital.com, all one word, no spaces, no dashes, and we have uh, a list of our partners there, and you'll find me on that website. All right, thanks, Lou, for being here with us today. This is Alan Olson, America Dreams, Keys to Life Success. We'll be back with more information after this short break. Visit Alan's website at groco.com. Welcome back. This is Alan Olson with America Dreams, the keys to life success. Nadine, our listeners here have learned quite a bit about Venture Capital Day and discussing with Lou DiNardo Crosslink Ventures. Yes, yes. You know, the American dream is to get rich quickly. Uh, for some entrepreneurs, that works, but that's not always the case for most of us. In 2010, the number of households in the United States worth over a million dollars rose to 8.4 million. Now, to acquiring net worth over a million is possible with careful saving and investing. Ellen, what steps do you suggest uh, the middle class citizen take in order to become a millionaire? <laughs> well, it's it's. I wish it were as easy as a textbook approach, but I will say this: you know, there are some key patterns that that are out there. Um, any one of you, as as you go through life, anybody can become a millionaire. But I'll tell you a quick story that I had a friend, and he was down at, um, at one of the big four firms, and uh, there, there was a guy that uh, the, the guy was talking to. He was a partner at the firm. He says, "Yeah, we had to get rid of this manager because he was no good. He he he, he 
wasn't performing properly. So he went out to work for a high-tech company, and within uh, four to five years, the guy made uh, something close to $8 million. Wow. And I'm like uh, to the partner, boy, weren't you smart? I said, how much do you make? <laughs> <laughs> and re- and who's the real dummy in this case? <laughs> you know, so what it reflects there is that, that level of risk, being in the right place yes. at the right time, and uh, that opportunity to come to anybody if that's what they want out of life. Are there any steps, though, that you m- – of course there's always risk, especially in becoming a millionaire or if you're going to go out on a business venture – However, are there is there a step or any steps or processes that you might suggest? Yeah, I think so. The, yeah, there's there's what we outline as a five step process of becoming a millionaire. We have it on our website at www.groco.com, and I'll review those with you right here. So, if owning a million dollars is one of your goals, here's a five step process that I would suggest. It's going to first start with health, spending, savings, investing, and then your career. So, so tell us a little bit more about this five-step process. All right. So, in the five-step process is, you know, first of all, it's developing healthy habits. Take care of yourself. If your health is poor, you're not going to be around long enough to even care about a financial plan. So, eat right, exercise daily, discipline yourself. And most successful investors are those who've lived with the discipline to stay with the program. The next area is Watch your spending. Yeah, I always say there's two types of people in life. There's accumulators and there are spenders. Um, And the first thing, when an individual comes across some type of liquidity event or they have some type of inheritance, uh, the first reaction is, well, I'm going to go buy these things that I always wanted. Well, the smart money or the person that desires to be the millionaire will live well below their means. So frugality is an, is uh, very important. Saving saving the money. So, you know, uh, you know, my father in law told me this. He said, um, one thing I've learned in life. He says a person will live up to every dollar that they earn, and um, and that is so true. As a person's earning potential increases, so does their lifestyle. So the people that desire to be millionaires and to desire to, to accumulate wealth are going to keep their spending patterns consistent while their earnings rise. So what about savings? I mean, you you don't get much money in a savings account. Is it worth saving? Absolutely. You, you need to stay with the regular disciplined savings program. Yeah, $600 a month, you'll become a millionaire by age 56, starting at age 30. Wow. So, And if that money returns uh, around approximately uh, 10% per annum, if the money returns around 8%, you'll be a millionaire by 60 years old, $600 a month starting at age 30. The other thing that you need to do is you also need to focus on your investments. Remember, there's always risk in everything. Don't go for the get-rich-quick scheme or trying to swing for the fences. Um, make investments that minimizes fees, maximizes your return, but doesn't take too much risk. If you're unsure about the types of investments, make sure that you have a qualified investment advisor and consider low-cost Index funds, um, also such as the S and P and uh, the Russell Five Thousand. 
So those are investments in the yeah. stock market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the last thing that you want to look at is the progress in your career. No matter how much uh, you position yourself, your career will always dictate how much you can become a millionaire. If you're in a W-2 wage earner, very difficult as an employee versus as the entrepreneur, starting a new business, finding new wealth. So you want to be able to excel in your performance and make sure you maximize everything that you can get out of life. And these are listed on your website, www.groco.com? Absolutely. So, Nadine, we're out of time today, uh, but we appreciated uh, having you and Lou with us. And um, this is Alan Olson with America Dreams, the Keys to Life Success, where we talk about how to live the life that you want to live. What are your dreams? What do you want out of life? And what defines success?